Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I've always believed that creativity requires us to take risks, have fun and head for the choppy waters. That's where I believe the fun is. So when I saw this list of suggestions for life given by chef, writer and television presenter, presenter I should say, Anthony Bourdain, I thought I would share it with you. He said this, Eat at a local restaurant tonight. Get the cream sauce. Have a cold pint at four o'clock in a mostly empty bar. Go somewhere you've never been. Listen to someone you think may have nothing in common with you. Order the steak rare. Eat an oyster. Have an agroni. Have two. Be open to a world where you may not understand or agree with the person next to you. But have a drink with them anyways. Eat slowly. Tip your server. Check in on your friends. Check in on yourself. Enjoy the ride. Wise words, I think, there for any photographer. I first became aware of the work of Bruce Gilden, I suppose approximately, what would it be now? I suppose about 2005, 2004, uh, with the work Coney Island. A friend of mine at the time, John Ellery at Brown's Design Group, designed a book of Gilden's work, of that work. It's very graphic and it really appealed to me. But I think it would be fair to say that Gildan's recent colour work produced particularly in the black country uh, in the UK has caused quite a lot of ill feeling, uh, shock, horror. I think also ruined, from my personal perspective, Gildan's, I suppose, understanding of his work. He, he's kind of destroyed his own uh, catalogue. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with me on that. But if you're not aware of uh, Gildan's work produced in the black country, uh, funded, I believe, by Multistory uh, in the Midlands, the black country is an area of the Midlands, by the way, of the UK, then um, I suppose in a way I should recommend that you look at them. I'm not a fan of them at all. Uh, but recently, something's come to light that I thought was well worth uh, looking into and well worth kind of reflecting upon. And it was this, and I'm going to read this directly to you because I think it's very important here to get the language and everything correct. So multi-story, they commission projects around the Midlands in the UK, as I've said, and they released a statement in the last week, and it said this, a multi-story statement in response to the Black Country book by Bruce Gilden, published by Satanta Books. In 2013, multi-story invited photographer Bruce Gilden to make portraits of people living and working in the Black Country who are devastated by poverty. We intended that the portraits would fuel debate around the highly damaging effects of austerity. We are appalled at the juxtapositions Gilden and Satanta books have made in their new book, Black Country, between the portraits of the individuals and the tabloid headlines and pornography, which are judgmental, sneering and show no respect. The implication is that the newspaper headline relates to the person in the photograph next to them, and this is untrue. Gildan and Satanta have shown no care nor consideration to the people who have been photographed. The context for seeing and showing the portraits is very important to multi-story. 
and this book has been published without our knowledge, involvement or endorsement. The book is a betrayal of our intention and our trust and the trust of the people Gildan photographed. We were not consulted about the book and, had we been, would have insisted that the book should not be produced. We have contacted Bruce Gildan, Magnum Photos and Satanta Books to condemn the making of this book. Magnum and Satanta have both agreed to remove all reference to multi-story from their websites, social media and in future communications and publicity. We do not want our name connected to this book in any way. Since the project was made nine years ago, Multistory has taken steps to review our contracts and processes with artists and how their work is used outside of the original context for which it is made. And Multistory have dated that uh, release uh, the 6th of July 2022. Now, I think there's a number of points here. One, of course, is the ownership of the work was Gildan's, and Gildan has done something with it that he feels is appropriate. The book publisher also has done something that they feel appropriate. The context in which those images are being seen is building a narrative that multi-story are telling us is not true. And that obviously is a major problem, particularly to those people who were in positions perhaps who didn't really understand exactly what was going on and certainly wouldn't have understood how the finished images looked. If you look at the Gildan pictures, I think you'll know what I mean. My point would be that the original images themselves actually created the problems that Multistory are now identifying that the book makes, so that context and the disrespect for the people being photographed. I feel that was already there in the original images. There's a doubling down on that by Gildan in the new book. So following on from that, I recently saw in Creative Review, a design-led magazine that I've purchased for, goodness gracious, 40-odd years at least. Um, but this was online, and I saw a headline, and it ties in with that Gildan approach, I think, to something which a lot of us are very close to, which is poverty. There's so many people I know listening to this podcast who are, who are suffering financial difficulties or are just a few months away from that. So it's really important, I feel, that we understand that there is not this sense of otherness about these people. They are us, and we must think about how we would want to be photographed. Of course, the key word there is empathy. But anyway, let me just read this to you, and you can see what you think as well. So the headline for this article was, How to Document Hardship. And the introduction said, images of people facing suffering and financial hardship have often stumbled into poverty porn and objectification. Is there a right way for an image maker to navigate this kind of work? Well, for me, the answer is, well, obvious. It's one word. It's empathy. I take huge offence at the use of the word words, I should say, poverty and porn. The, the fact that those two words have been pushed together, I find highly offensive and highly inappropriate. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you're going to agree with me on that. I don't know. But the beginning of uh, the article also raises something which I think is rather interesting. They interview the photographer, Sean Davey, 
who starts off by saying, photographing poverty. I mean, I don't know who's done that successfully. Do you know? Asks Sean Davey, a former uh, psychotherapist turned photographer. Well, yeah, I do know, actually. There are many great photographers going right back to um, the beginning of the 20th century who brought that sense of poverty to our consciousness. Jim Mortram, who often contributes to this podcast, is somebody who really understands the importance of working with people who are in positions of danger. That could be from a mental perspective as well as from a financial perspective. It's really important, I believe, that as photographers, we tell stories with respect. We do not treat people in our photographs as subjects. I really recommend Sean looks out at a bit more work and starts to understand the situation that we're talking about here. Maybe her quotation has been put into a position of being out of context. But again, that takes us back to the same situation with the Bruce Gilden images. Context is all in photography, but so is empathy. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us in less than five minutes what does photography mean to him, Arne Svensson, who's a self-taught photographer with an education and vocational background in special education, whose photographic practice aims to seek out the inner life, the essence of his subjects, whether they be human, inanimate, or something in between. He says that he uses his camera as a reporter uses text to create a narrative that facilitates the understanding of that which may lie hidden or obscured. In the years 2012 to 2016, Svensson was artist-in-residence at Wesley Spectrum High School, a programme in Pittsburgh for children on the autism spectrum. In partnership with the Andy Warhol Museum and the Cognitive Psychology Department at the University of Victoria, BC, he was involved in a long-term project exploring the science of facial recognition skills with subjects on the spectrum. The resultant work was shown in its entirety at the Andy Warhol Museum. He's the author, photographer of numerous books, including Unspeaking Likeness, The Neighbours, Prisoners and Sock Monkeys. And in 2016, he received the Nanan Prize in photojournalism for his project, The Neighbours. Svensson's photographs have been shown extensively in the United States, Europe and Asia and are included in numerous public and private collections. His work has been profiled in the New York Times, Art Forum, Art in America and The New Yorker, among other publications. Recent soul exhibitions, solo I should say, exhibitions of his images have been held at the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver, Western Washington University and as a two-person show with the work of Andre Cortez at Gallery Miranda Paris. Over the past few years, Svensson has given numerous lectures in universities and museums, mostly on the issue of free speech in the arts and how this topic relates to his series, The Neighbours, the subject of a protracted legal battle. He was the defendant in a lawsuit involving privacy issues and therefore uniquely qualified to speak about the ramifications of censorship and the protections guaranteed by the American First Amendment. What photography means to me? Well, frankly, I've never had the nerve to ask myself that question. I'm superstitious enough to think that if I analyze why I do something, then I'll come up with an answer why not to do it. And I'm always on the edge with my practice anyway. 
I constantly walk away from my camera, cursing, vowing never to touch the damn thing again. I grew up in a household where we had no family photos on the wall. The few that existed were hidden away in dark closets bound up in dusty photo albums. My mother's rationale for this behavior was that if someone you loved was alive, why have a photo of them because the real thing is so much better? And if the loved one was dead, why make yourself miserable by having a constant reminder on the wall of what you have lost? I have to admit there's a certain logic in this, and for years I avoided involvement with photography because I couldn't come up with a reason to need it. That changed after I left my career in special education to pursue a degree in painting. I lasted exactly one week in art school before I realized I had absolutely no interest and minimal talent in speaking through paint, and that if I was to attempt realizing my internal visions, then I'd better find a medium in which to do so. I think creatively in a figurative manner, so I thought I might have a go at photography. Besides, it had always been such a forbidden subject in my childhood that it was alluring in a kind of doing-something-naughty way. So I set about teaching myself how to take a photo. I never took a course due to, I don't know, anxiety or fear or boredom or some other forgotten rationale. It was difficult learning because I have absolutely no mechanical reasoning skills, so trying to figure out what button controls what was a chore. I still have problems with stopping up and stopping down, and when I give lectures, refuse to answer any questions to do with the workings of a camera. But once I had a functioning relationship with the camera, I realized that it was a translation machine of sorts. From my brain to my eye to my camera to my subject, this was the sequence that allowed me to articulate that which I never could through spoken or written language. All that was inarticulate within me was clarified in the photograph that was born of following this sequence. The cameras also allowed me to experience situations in physical places that normally would be cordoned off. Specifically, this magical transportation is exemplified in my neighbor's series, where I photographed, without their knowledge, the residents of a building across the street from my studio. Suddenly, I had answers and information about people's lives without asking a single verbal question. The turn of a head and the shadow on a wall of the sun raking across a woman's arm. All these disparate components coalesced into breathing, living subjects that I could meet without meeting. As I mentioned, I have a tenuous and tumultuous relationship with my practice. When I'm behind the camera, I want so badly to clarify and distill my subjects, both metaphorically and visually, that I set the bar way too high. For my newest series, A Beautiful Day, I can take hundreds of photographs out the window of a subject on the street and still not capture that nuance of behavior that is key to who they are, or whom I assume them to be. I sometimes just want to fling open the window and yell at them to get into a pose or a position that tells me all about the inner workings of their psyche. But when it works, when all the components come together, there's no other feeling like it in the world. Suddenly all is clear, all is revealed, and all is beautiful. It's rare, but when it happens, it gives me the answer to your question, what is photography to me? At its very best, it means I understand and speak every language in the world, in the universe, and see more clearly than any MRI machine ever could.
Thank you, Arne, for your contribution this week. Uh, really interesting. I love his... Uh, his phrase, functioning relationship with the camera as a, I suppose in a way, a sense of knowing just enough, not needing to know everything about how a camera works, just enough to ensure that you're able to use it in a way that you want to. That's something I definitely um, subscribe to. That love-hate relationship with the medium. How often have we all been through that situation? In fact, I'm writing an article at the moment which kind of deals with that, ensuring that that love-hate relationship doesn't tip over into becoming a hate-hate relationship. You'll find that, of course, at uh, unitednationsofphotography.com when I finished it. And that idea of setting expectations too high so that they become unachievable and and in that that sort of lack of feeling of success issues arise and i think that sort of uh goes back to that idea of that love hate relationship that hate come comes through that but when it does work the highs are high and but the lows can be very low and i'm always talking about trying to find a balance there so a lot for me to unpack uh from uh on this week so i thank him very much for his contribution if you're not aware of his work as always check him out uh you can find a link to his work on the page on unitednationsphotography.com where this podcast is posted. Uh, been a busy uh, week. Uh, I've been giving a lot of talks, delivering papers. Big thanks to the Royal Photographic Society and all of the people who turned up uh, to listen to me speak and papers and asking really great questions. If you go to United Nations of Photography, fee.com, I hardly say it. It's getting a bit warm in the shed. I should have started earlier this morning. Anyway, if you go to the website, you will find links to the first talk, which was for the contemporary uh, photography group within the Royal Photographic Society and the paper I delivered on Bill J, Tony Ray Jones and 1968 is I believe going to be posted up there over the coming weeks so if you did miss those you can catch up with them. As I said it's getting a bit warm, uh, certainly got a bit warm for Boris in the last week, he's looking for a new house and a new job I don't really feel like wishing him to take care but you certainly should <laughs> 